Hello and welcome to episode 99. That's right, episode 99. We're almost at 100 of the Batflip Crazy podcast where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Today, I am going to be going over the first half of my first fantasy baseball draft of 2020. Um, a 50-team draft and hold, a 15-team, 50-player draft and hold uh, draft that I started, did the first 23 rounds of that first pitch Arizona. I also wrote an article um, that covers a lot of the same ground, but I thought I'd go into a little bit more depth as I'm able to do um, on the pa- podcast and share a little bit about um, strategy. So hopefully uh, you enjoy uh, the podcast and some of the dives that I do on the players that I selected. Now, tonight's podcast, I love to podcast from all over the United States. Uh, the last episode was actually from Maui in Hawaii with uh, Alex Chamberlain. That was a ton of fun. Um, I've also I've, I've podcasted from Atlanta. I think I've podcasted from Visalia, California, um, home of the Visalia Rawhide, I believe is their minor league team. Um, and today I am uh, coming to you uh, from Philadelphia. I'm here for a work conference um, so spending a little bit of time in the city of brotherly love, which should be uh, should be a lot of fun. So this is a Philadelphia-based podcast for tonight. Um, yeah, I hope uh, I hope I hope to be able to bring some of these shorter podcasts to you. And by shorter, I mean like forty minutes compared to the three and a half hour you know trilogies I put together uh, on a regular basis, either by myself or with Bubba. But I hope to put together some of these shorter podcasts just to share a little bit of the, you know, abbreviated thought, my abbreviated thoughts and some uh, player profiles heading into next year. So hopefully, uh, again, that you find them helpful. I'd also love to hear if you find uh, the articles helpful. Like, do you like to read the stuff or do you find that it's kind of unnecessary as long as I'm doing it on the podcast? Um, It's always great to get, uh, you know, information out there on a variety of different mediums because I know that people like different things. So definitely hit me up. Let me know uh, whether you like that or uh, like those articles or not. Um, all right. Uh, you can reach me as always on Twitter at batflipcrazy. If you have not already, please do go to uh, iTunes, give the podcast, if you like it, uh, a five-star rating and review. Would really, really appreciate that. It's actually been a little bit since we got a rating and a review, so would love to see those um, get churning. And who knows, I may even uh, you know let folks who, uh, who leave a rating and review um, choose a couple players to profile in in in, in episodes to come. So, anyways, uh, please do that if you have not already. Really appreciate it. Enjoy uh, this uh, first draft breakdown of the 2020 fantasy baseball season. Let's get this party started. Earlier this summer, I had the pleasure of going to First Pitch Arizona, which is a terrific event that's put on by Baseball HQ down in Arizona during the Fall League. And folks have probably seen me mention it on Twitter and, and on the podcast before, but it was an absolutely awesome time. And one of the things that I really enjoyed about it, outside of meeting all the people and the different workshops, was that it was the first opportunity I had to draft a team for 2020, a team that quote-unquote counts because we're going to play out this season and it's against some really stiff competition and so I am um, I'm looking forward to see how this early drafted team uh, does. 
It's a little bit different than traditional fantasy leagues. It's a 15-team league, but it's a 50-player uh, draft and hold league through NFBC, so draft champions. Um, it's 5x5 five five, uh, as usual. That's pretty much exclusively what I play, occasionally swapping a little OBP in the dynasties front, but uh, that's that's pretty much what I'm focused on. But we drafted the first 23 rounds um, at First Pitch Arizona, and then we're going to draft the last 27 rounds um, in January to finish it off over an email draft. So I thought it would be helpful just to go over a little bit about what I was thinking heading into the draft, and then just doing kind of a player-by-player player brief breakdown, just kind of the highlights of why I might have taken a player in a given point in time. So from a strategic perspective, I've mentioned this a number of different times, but you know, I follow kind of the two aces philosophy, if you will, and I think I'm probably a, even a little bit more aggressive than most folks because when I'm talking about uh, getting two aces, I'm oftentimes talking about getting those two aces with my first two picks or, you know, two of the first three rounds, depending on, you know, the player and how the draft falls. But I just I just tend to believe that the difference between those high-end pitchers, uh, both in terms of our ability to predict how well they're going to pitch, and the difference between them and kind of that second, third, fourth tier um, is so significant that it really gives you an advantage from a pitching perspective to get those two aces. That's not surprising. But I also think from a hitting perspective, it allows you to uh, really focus on uh, a lot on depth. And so what I'm probably going to be focusing on in a lot of my drafts, and again, this is all subject to change based on analyses that I do, based on analyses that I read from other folks. Um, you know, you always have to be willing to adapt your strategy and you don't want to be too uh, set in stone. But I really like the fact that grabbing those two aces, I feel comfortable waiting on and going on maybe some higher upside arms much deeper in the draft. And you'll see that in this one where I don't think I took um, another pitcher until uh, Emilio Pagan, which was, um, I, I, can just, I can just scroll down and tell you, believe it or not, um, which was round 11. So I focused exclusively on hitters from rounds 3 to 10, which was really nice because while folks are, you know, grabbing their other pitchers or grabbing some closers, I'm really just focusing on getting a couple hitters there. So there's the two aces strategy. I'm also this year going to be focusing on getting at least one high-end catcher, if not two. Um, obviously, there's been a number of analyses done on the replacement value of fantasy catchers and there's there's great info on that i just think that um you know there there's clearly in two catcher leagues and i'm talking specifically about two catcher leagues in one catcher league i think it's totally fine to wait um you know pretty long to get your catcher um but in two catcher leagues i really do think there's a huge benefit to having two um, really good catchers. There's a, just such a huge difference between the top end catchers in terms of plate appearances, um, in terms of production, than I think there are, you know, there's kind of just like a, um, you know, just like a, a, a bunch of catchers from like catcher eight all the way down to catcher 20, which, you know, they could be good, they could be bad. And I just think there's a lot of volatility and, and variance in catcher performance from a year-to-year -year basis outside of those top catchers. And so that's where I think I'm going to be focused, uh, focusing a little bit on, and you'll see that play out in the draft. Definitely waiting on closers. If this was a traditional format, I would wait um, 
you know, not not crazy long, but you know, into the probably 120 ADP range, depending on who's left over in the board for to to get my clo- my first closure. I was actually able in this draft to wait a little bit longer than that, but I do I am going to be pushing up. Uh, closers overall in this draft just because it is a draft and hold so if you're stuck without guys who have access to saves right off the bat you're really just hoping that you guess correctly who's next in line or that you get you know uh, enough guys in high leverage spots that maybe you uh, snag a couple saves here and there or get lucky and I, and I do mean lucky um, by having a guy turn into the closer who isn't necessarily the closer uh, to begin with and again we don't know a lot about what the committees are going to look like Uh, in terms of closers right now and so it's kind of hard at this point with limited information and then I think the other thing that I'm going to be focusing on is spreading risk on stolen bases and that doesn't mean that I'm going to stay away from a top end stolen base guy I I think they're probably going to be gone by the time I'm taking some hitters in the draft Um, but that I really want to spread the risk on stolen bases because when you put too many of your stolen bases in one basket it really leads leaves you open to um to injuries, uh, really hurting your chances to compete um, in stolen bases if you don't have enough depth um, in stolen bases. And then I th- also think, you know, a lot of outside the top, you know, two rounds, all the guys who are going to get you a bunch of stolen bases are going to be rabbits and they're going to hit you in, uh, hurt you in home runs and things like that. And so I think you'll notice as I go through the draft that generally speaking, not only with stolen bases, but also with home runs, you know, part of making up the power gap that I'm going to get from going after two. Um, two pitchers to begin with is just making sure that nobody is actively hurting me in home runs. So making sure that I have all my guys have at least double digit home runs. Most of my guys have over 20 home runs. And that way, you know, I'm not kind of digging out of that gap. I think that's also where the two high end catchers can come into play. Because if you can get two high end catchers who are going to get you 20 plus home runs, you know, then you don't have to dig out of that hole that you have if you have kind of worse catchers and you're not able to project or plan on having them produce that type of value for you. So those are just some of the things that I'm thinking about heading into this draft. I haven't had a chance to uh, comprehensively think about it, but that's kind of where I am um, uh, at this point uh, right now. So that's kind of the lead in to the draft. So there's no fab, it's 50 team draft and hold. Um, So let's just, uh, let's get started with how the draft played out. So at pick, um, I got the 14th pick, so we drew um, uh, Kentucky Derby um, KDS, Kentucky Derby standings or something. I don't know what the S stands for. I'm sure it's something really easy and I'm just forgetting it. But I drew like probably the fifth or sixth um, straw and I went towards the back end of the round um, just because uh, starting in January, we'll actually restart the draft in, in round 24 and we'll start with pick 15 so i'll have the second pick coming out of that we'll probably have a little bit more knowledge about you know closer situations or job battles not necessarily how they're playing out in spring training but just free agent signings things like that so i'm hoping that that gives me a little bit of an edge um one note i do not like picking towards the end of the round at least in 15 teamers um just kind of where i was i i just didn't love who was there available to me. So that's just a little bit of, a, of something. I'm probably going to be pushing for one of the top picks, not because I want you know one of those top three of Trout, um, Acuna, and uh, yeah, or Yelich, but because I, 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 want, I want Garrett Cole or you know even Jacob deGrom. Uh, I think those are pretty clearly my two top pitchers just because of 
you know, both age and um, consistent performance over the, at least the last couple of years. So anyways, so at uh, 114, uh, Paul Spore was drafting in front of me in the 13 spot. I was hoping that Justin Verlander was going to fall to me. Um, he did not. Uh, Paul picked him. So I ended up getting Max Scherzer. Um, at uh, 114. Um, I At the time, this was before Scherzer uh, had some uh, injury problems during the playoffs that made him push back a start a couple, uh, a couple days. I think it was uh, game six or game, um, game five uh, that he wasn't able to go for. He ended up pitching game seven, obviously. Um, but uh, I ended up with Scherzer. So this was before him. I think one of the things that was nice and then one of the things I love about drafts where you end up getting guys that maybe you, you weren't targeting is as you as you dive in a little bit, you realize that maybe there's some some nice things. I mean, we all know that Max Scherzer is really good, but what I hadn't realized is that he actually posted a higher K-minus walk rate in 2019 um, at 30.3% than he did last year in 2018 at 28.7%. I mean, that's K-minus walk rate, not just K-rate, which is awesome. And he also managed to put up a sub-3 ERA despite having a BABIP of 321, which is 31 points higher than his career average and the highest it's been uh, since 2012. And so I think, you know, injury is obviously a little bit more of a concern. And so if I were to do over this pick right now, would I take Scherzer? Uh, I'm not entirely sure, especially with the Nats having won the World Series. You know, you just never... Never sure how that's going to impact somebody from like a mentality standpoint and, and how hard they're going to push themselves in the off season to be ready early on the next season. Um, so I, I might not go with Scherzer at this point, um, you know, if I were to draft again, but uh, that Scherzer is who I got. Um, and I was, I was happy with that at the time. And so I partnered Scherzer going with my two aces strategy with Walker Bueller with the 17th pick. Um, so two seventeen round two pick seventeen. Um, I'm not totally sold on Bueller, um, but I did feel pretty good about getting him at this spot. Um, the other pitchers I I would have considered are Shane Bieber and Mike Clevenger. It's pretty early for both of them, but I think both of those guys have really solid skills and, and and are clear aces and I think they can pitch volume. Clevenger obviously didn't this year because of the injury, but he looked really good coming back. Uh, Bueller doesn't have the same skills, believe it or not, as some of those guys. Uh, he has a 12.1% swinging strike rate last year, which is solid but not spectacular. 24.2% K-minus walk rate, again, really good. Uh, but if you look at Shane Bieber, for instance, he was at 14% and 25.5%. So, you know, there, there's a little bit of a gap there, especially in swinging strike. I know Clevenger had a very high swinging strike rate as well, I think, um, around 15% um, too. So, you know, there's maybe a little less on the K upside right now for Bueller, but he's pitching for the Dodgers. It's an ideal situation, um, especially for wins, which are hard to come by these days. Um, he's clearly the staff ace at this point, and I think that this year, you know, if we if we look back at this spring training, he had an abbreviated spring training, and a lot of guys who had that happen struggled um, a lot this year, and so he should get plenty of offseason with the Dodgers getting eliminated pretty early on in the playoffs. Uh, he should have a normal spring training, and so hopefully, you know, he can avoid a slow start like he did last year and maybe get to that, you know, um, uh, 200 innings uh, threshold uh, this year for the first time. Um, you know, the Dodgers don't really have anybody else at this point in their rotation who is going to be pointing 
uh, that's going to be uh, pushing that level. Um, yeah, so we had 182 innings this year, so that seems like a you know a logical uh, next step for uh, Bueller to get to. So overall, pretty pleased with um, drafting uh, Scherzer and Bueller uh, with my top two picks. I think that you know gives me an edge right off the bat uh, in terms of Ks potentially wins. Uh, the ratios are going to be really solid as well, and I think there's going to there should be volume there. At least when I drafted, there was going to be volume. I think with Scherzer, you may want to uh, may, may want to bump that inning pitch mark down just a little bit. So hopefully, hopefully everything's okay with him and he has a good offseason. So one guy I haven't been shy about saying I, I like a lot heading into this year is Ozzy Albie's. Um, in the two early mock drafts, he was going around pick sixty. Um, I was I um, had no problem uh, jumping that ADP a little bit, which you'll notice with a lot of my picks. Um, uh, but in the third round with pick 44, I picked up Ozzy Albies to start off my offense. I really love him heading into the season. Um, he's still just 22, which is hard to think about. It feels like he's been around for so long, but he already has those two season, those two full seasons under his belt, um, with 24 home runs and about 15 stolen bases in each a hundred runs, um, in each and actually some solid RBI contributions batting behind, uh, Ronald Acuna definitely has some perks to it there. Um, he has elite contact skills, and I think that that gives his average a pretty decent um, floor. You know, he he may not, um, you know, he I think he had 295 this year, so he's not necessarily that 320 guy right now, but um, I don't expect him to hit like 250 or 260 this year. I think he's going to be in the kind of 270 to 290 range, much closer to that 290 range, I think. Um, is kind of his, um, uh, you know, that's kind of where his true talent level is at this point. And I also love the contact skills because anytime you have good contact skills, it provides a really nice foundation in terms of consistency and putting the balls in play. Uh, Albies also showed really great growth this year in some key metrics uh, when I look at his 80 game uh, rolling average. And all of this stuff is available on the articles that I put together, including the rolling average graph if you're really individuals. Um, I wish I could paint an accurate picture of how beautiful these rolling average graphs look, but I'm just not able to do that with my uh, with my limited language here. But the things that I liked about Albies, he lowered his ground ball rate, um, which I think is really nice because we do know that he's a guy who has some pop. He hit 24 home runs this year. He's obviously you know maybe helped out a little bit by that by the juiced ball, but at the same time. You know, he had 24 home runs last year as well. So pretty consistently there. You know, we know he can hit home runs even in, even if the ball isn't juiced, which I like a lot. Um, you know, and then his hard hit rate went up at the same time. And then his plate discipline um, also has started to improve. It's not where we want it to be, but it's improving. And then his stack cast metrics, both in terms of barrel rate and his expected WOBA, uh, also improved. And so I think given the context, given the age and the fact that I still think that there's growth in the profile um, and that just a balanced and solid profile that he brings, I feel good about starting my offense um, with uh, Ozzy Albies. It's obviously much easier to start it with like a Christian Yelich or uh, a Ronald Acuna, but I'm totally happy starting it with Albies. In the fourth round, you know, I have another little bit of a reach, I think, when we, when we look at where he's probably going to end up going in ADP, but that's Tommy Pham uh, is who I picked up there. Again, looking for kind of that balanced profile with some stolen bases and some home runs. 
Um, the thing that's remarkable about Pham is it feels like he's injured all the time, and I say that as somebody who owns him, but he's actually averaged nearly 600 plate appearances now over the last three years, um, so that's on a per-year basis, and he's also averaged 22 home runs and 22 stolen bases um, each year over those three years, which, again, if you can get 22 stolen bases and 22 home runs without really hurting you in any other categories, I think that's a huge bonus. So. I like that a lot about him. He also had some improved skills. I mean, he's an older guy. He's, he came into the league later, um, so he's already in his 30s. But, um, you know, he increased his contact rate by 4% this year, um, which I thought was really nice. And he also got really unlucky. He only managed 77 runs despite a 369 OBP in 654 plate appearances. That's absolutely terrible luck because if you look at last year, he managed 102 runs, so 35 more runs in 84 less plate appearances with about the same OBP. Now, you could argue that he was probably a little bit lucky last year and a little bit uh, unlucky this year, but you put you throw those two numbers together and essentially what you're looking at is an average of about... Uh, 90 runs, um, you know, and, and I think that's a really nice mark just to kind of project him at. Um, and he's going to be okay on RBI hitting, you know, second or third in that raise lineup, which I think is going to be improved next year. And then again, he's got a solid foundation of great plate discipline, um, solid contact. So I feel like consistency is something that we can expect from FAM. Uh, barring any type of injury. Now, I was able to start implementing my um, uh, top catcher focus, um, you know, or, or getting some of the best catchers. And I went after JT Real Muto in the fifth round, um, pick 74. Um, I was not a big Real Muto fan heading into this year, despite the change in scenery. Although I think that might have happened after I did my preview on catchers. I can't remember, but I had Real Muto, I think, as the third best catcher when a lot of sites had him as the first. So I was I was wrong there. He ended up with the first, but he's just a guy. He's one of the few catchers that has a really solid just base of kind of skills. You know, he's got solid plate discipline. He's got solid uh, contact. Um, and I think what I really like about him from the catcher position is the stolen bases. So last year, he only had three stolen bases. So I think there were some concerns that he was getting older and that he wasn't going to steal, especially with the move over to the Phillies. But um, he stole nine bases, and that gives him, over the last five years, stolen base totals of eight, 12, eight, three, and nine. So that three really looks like the outlier, and I think it's okay to project him for you know, five to eight stolen bases heading into next year, which is huge, I think, coming from the catcher position. Again, if you draft catchers that don't get you any speed, um, that hurt you in batting average, um, and that have a ton of variance in their performance or their their access to plate appearances, um, you know, then you are, your other players on your squad are having to dig out from that hole. And so I'm not going to have to do that with my catchers. My catchers are, should, or contribute at least a little bit uh, when it comes to stolen base. And I mean, being able to project that they're going to contribute a little bit. Like Yasmani Grandal stole four bases this year for the Brewers, but you can't really project Yasmani Grandal to steal four bases, you know, heading into next year. Um, whereas I feel pretty comfortable, you know, with Real Muto, maybe it would be like six or seven. And those five stolen bases are, are can make a huge difference. As we've seen, you know, so much clustering of stolen bases um, these days with the low stolen base totals across the league. 
Uh, so I feel really good about Real Muto. He's got power. He's going to hit for batting average. And one of the things that I did like about his speed is that I noticed his sprint speed has been remarkably consistent. Over the last five years, it's been 28-8, 28-8. 286, 286, and 28.7. So very, very consistent. The speed has not started to um, go anywhere. So, you know, there's a new manager in Philly, which happened after uh, I drafted JT Real Muto. So hopefully Girardi doesn't put the the total breaks on him. But I think that, um, you know, I'm I'm pleased with Real Muto right there. Uh, Again, another guy who might be considered a reach, um, I don't know if you can hear that, but that is uh, the Philadelphia Fire Department that is apparently driving uh, driving down the road uh, next door. Um, so in the sixth round uh, with the 77th pick, I get picked Tim Anderson. So again, this pick was a little bit of a reach. And I mentioned how I don't like drafting at, at, towards the back end of the round. It just seems like with the guys that I like, at least at this point in the offseason, um, a lot of them, their ADPs are closer to the other side of the uh, side of the draft. And so, and so, for instance, with Albies at 44, I was really hoping that Austin Meadows um, was going to fall to me there. I was hoping to double up on maybe an Austin Meadows, Aussie Albies um, combo there. I really love Austin um, Meadows heading into next year. But unfortunately, so does Matt Modica, who's also in the draft. And he picked him up, I think, like five or six uh, picks before I went. Um, so that's just something just something to note. Um, with Anderson, you know, Anderson's a guy that I like a lot heading into next year just because I anticipate that he is going to be underrated again. I don't love the plate discipline, obviously. He's got some of the worst plate discipline in the world, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to be bad from a fantasy perspective, at least in average leagues. We think about, um, you know, Javi Baez has terrible plate discipline. Anderson has terrible plate discipline. Eddie Rosario has terrible plate discipline. So you can be an elite fantasy contributor with terrible plate discipline as long as you have um, pretty high or decent contact rates, or in the case of Javi Baez, you can make some really strong uh, contact. Now, I think a lot of people are also going to underrate Anderson because they're going to be expecting a ton of regression. And I am expecting a ton of regression, but that's because I don't expect him to repeat as batting champion. I certainly expect him to repeat as a solid contributor in batting average, right? It's just a matter of where you regress to. And I think I feel pretty comfortable, um, you know, uh, having him as a 280 hitter, which might not sound like much, but that's a huge contribution hitting at the top of the lineup and potentially getting a number of plate uh, appearances um, for you uh, and, and for the White Sox. But the things that I liked about Anderson, you know, really in full in a full season, you can expect him to be another 2020 guy. Um, and I also think that he's improved um, as he's gotten, um, you know, especially this year, the contact rate was up 3.3%. He's hyper-aggressive at the plate, and so that's going to keep his strikeout rate low and so he's going to put the ball in play a lot and so as long as you can handle the variance of kind of the the ups and downs I think um I think Anderson is not a guy who is going to hurt you um you know at all heading into next year and I think he's just an overall uh solid uh solid value in batting average leagues now so you'll remember I took two aces to begin with and then I went with four hitters and the thing that I love about the hitters that I have is essentially all so Anderson, Pham, and um, Albies, I think when you combine all of their stats, you're looking at three guys who are going to average 
you know, and project for 60 or more home runs and 60 or more stolen bases. Um, you know, so even though I started out with those two starting pitchers and missed on some really high stolen base guys, um, I still feel pretty good about where I am with my stolen bases, though I certainly need to address it. But I've also managed to, you know, kind of scatter that out among three players. So if one of them gets injured or doesn't have as good of a stolen base season as I was necessarily anticipating, it's not going to deal me any type of crushing blow. Each one of my hitters also, uh, you know, can project for a 270 batting average or better. So Anderson, uh, Real Muto, Pham, and Albies, and all four of those guys um, are going to project for over 20 home runs heading into next season. So again, I really like the balance of my team overall through six rounds, even though I feel like I did have to... Um, you know, kind of kind of be more aggressive than I would necessarily like to on guys. And I say that not because I mind, you know, hopping ADP and, you know, getting a guy a number of picks ahead of time, but just because I think, you know, maybe there's a little bit more value to be had with some other picks um, in, uh, in different places in the draft. So that's just that. Uh, the next uh, pick is another guy that I love heading into next year, and that's Jose Abreu. Uh, I just felt like he was too much value at the spot. He, you know, he doesn't steal, but he does pretty much everything else for you. You know, the runs aren't great, but they're solid. Uh, but at pick 104 in the seventh round, I feel really good about that. I think he ends up back at Chicago. I think they're going to have a much better lineup um, just as, as guys get older, as guys improve. Um, it's a nice ballpark for him to hit in, and he clearly loves it there. Um, he also, you know, he just has incredible quality of contact. Like he makes a lot of contact, which I think, you know, outside of his injury filled 2018, he's been solid from a batting average perspective, you know, 121 RBIs, like the quietest 120 RBI season we've seen, but we know when he's healthy, he gets hundred RBIs. And then I think from a home run perspective, you're going to get, you know, around 30 home runs from him, which is really, really solid. And I think there's actually the potential for him to get, uh, maybe a little bit more if he can bring his ground ball percentage down. Again, he's been successful with that approach, so you're not necessarily counting on it, but I do like it that there's a little bit of upside there uh, with Abreu. The next uh, pick was a little bit of kind of my first risk that I took in the draft, um, and that is in the eighth round at pick 107, I went with Kyle Tucker. So, you know, again, one of the things that I'm trying to get better at now because I feel you know, although it doesn't really hold for the draft and hold, but I feel pretty good about my ability to fab and to grind out and to be able to identify some guys that maybe um, are on the wire that can contribute to me through to my team throughout the year. So it's just doing enough balance of kind of those solid, solid, steady performers and guys that you can count on with some of the higher variance guys that might have higher upside. And I think Tucker, I just really love the upside if he gets regular uh, plate appearances um uh, this upcoming year i think you know i feel good about um you know even if he's just on the strong side of the platoon and he's not playing every day i feel pretty good about um him getting to 20 home runs and 15 stolen bases i think he finished the year with five stolen bases only playing in uh in september uh the batting average is a little bit of a concern but you know he's had some good quality of contact he had a nice barrel rate this year um, and I just think overall in that lineup, um, 
you know, with the with the Astros having the player development folks that they that they do have, and with what we've seen from Tucker in his minor league career and even in the big leagues, you know, I, I think it's a a risk worth taking uh, even this early in the draft at around pick 107. And if he is in the strong side of a platoon, and I think this is one of the things that I, I want to get better at thinking about is, okay, let's say he's in the strong side of the platoon. I mean, you know, yes, he's going to have some games where maybe, um, you know, there's four games in a half week on an NB- NFBC platform, and he only plays in three of those. And if I can see that there's going to be two lefties, then I probably wouldn't start him then. And so when you think about it, like in a lot of ways, you get the the benefit of him being on a strong side of platoon. So you don't get the negative batting average. You don't get the, the negative parts of like the lower batting average or um, just the worst performance, you know, when he is going up against lefties. And then you can also replace him in your lineup with another player. And so, you know, if you if you play your cards right, you know, you're getting the, the better side of Tucker's platoon. And then you're also getting some additional at-bats um, from uh, another player who is hopefully, you know, at or better than replacement level. And so I think that actually boosts uh, Tucker's value a little bit there as well. But, you know, again, he's a guy who is going to provide balanced production. He should provide some runs in RBI in that lineup. You know, that average could be a little bit, you know, on the downside, but, um, you know, I, I have a little bit of room to give given my, my first four picks. And then I do think 20 home runs and 15 stolen bases is a reasonable reasonable expectation from him. Next up was was one of the picks of the draft that I liked the most, and that is at pick 134, round nine, I got Oscar Mercado uh, of the Indians. Uh, I absolutely love Mercado heading into 2020, and I definitely expect him to be flying up draft boards as uh, the real drafts approach in March, mostly because, you know, he's a guy who has speed um, and who... Um, who has a little power and some batting average. And I think when people dig into him, they're going to be really impressed by just the underlying skills. He makes a ton of contact. Um, he was improving in, in virtually every category of the game. Um, as he got more experience in the big leagues, his play discipline improved, his contact improved, his hard hit rate improved. And then, um, you know, his ground ball rate also dropped a little bit. And so I think there's the makings of a, a really nice player there and I think he already has been you know he had less than 500 plate appearances this year and he hit 15 home runs and 15 stolen bases so even if he does exactly what he did this year and he gets a full set of plate appearances you know you're still looking at um, you know 18 home runs and 18 stolen bases over 600 plate appearances which again is another example of having kind of a balanced approach and then I think with that high uh, contact rate I think the batting average is going to be solid and I would anticipate that he's going to bat uh, towards the top of the Indians lineup uh, next year and I think that'll be a, a decent place to be with you know uh, Lindor and Jose Ramirez um, around him uh, you know, some Fran Mil Reyes as well. So uh, I do like Mercado a lot, and I, and I like this pick, and I like how he fits into my team as well. Uh, clearly at this point in the draft, though, you know, I don't have any guys that are hurting me in terms of power, you know, um, but I don't have, you know, outside of maybe a Brayu, any, any real mashers. And so for that reason, with my next pick uh, in round 10, pick 137, I targeted Fran Mil Reyes. Um, 
Again, it addresses a clear weakness currently on my team, and I've been able to build up a, a decent number of stolen bases and a decent number, uh, a decent batting average um, so far with, um, uh, you know, and so I think I feel okay going after Reyes. You know, the batting average is not going to be great, but I think the power numbers um, should be there. He's averaged 38 home runs per 600 plate appearances across um, you know, uh, parts of two seasons. So he has 833 plate appearances and like 52 home runs, I think. So the power is definitely there. And when you look at his stat cast metrics from exit velocity to hard hit rate, expected woba, expected slug, um, they're all really, really good. And even his expected batting average, um, you know, this season, it looks like he was a little bit unlucky uh, in that department. And again, there's room for growth in that power. Um, his uh, ground ball rate fell 5.1%. Um, from 2018 to 2019, but it's still above league average at 44.1%. So, you know, again, that may be part of having the higher uh, expected batting average uh, than you might expect from a guy with his power and contact profile. But um, I really do uh, like him next year, uh, especially around this range, you know, around 10 being able to get that type of a power asset, um, you know, and I think, you know, there's no reason to expect Reyes now that he's a DH and doesn't have to worry about playing in the outfield. Um, I don't see a massive difference between Franmil Reyes and uh, Pete Alonso uh, heading into next year. That may actually be a good bold prediction that Franmil Reyes hits more home runs than uh, Pete Alonso uh, next year. Um, so again, uh, Franmil Reyes there in the 10th round. Uh, in the 11th round, I went for my first closer. So I was able to wait until pick 164, even in the draft and hold, to get my first closer. And that is Emilio Pagan of the Tampa Bay Rays. Um, I feel really good about Pagan and this kind of type of closer. I think he showed some, you know, closer level skills last year. 17.6% uh, swinging strike rate, 34.4% uh, called plus swinging strike rate. 31.1% uh, K minus walk. He's got two fantastic pitches. Um, you know, his improvement uh, stemmed from an uptick in velocity. Um, and you, you got to trust the Rays and what they do with pitchers. So I think there's a lot of just really positive qualities there for Pagan. The Rays are obviously, I think, going to be a, a better team. They were very good this year. I think they're going to be even better um, next year, so he should have access to a decent amount of saves, and I think he's earned that closer role. Um, you know, I think some people might be skeptical that they're going to go by a with a closer by committee, but when you look at the second half of the season, I think Pagan was either the leader or one of the top two in terms of saves in the second half of the season, and I think that reflects the fact that he settled in well in that role. Um, and you know, there there may have been some different usage in the playoffs but I think the playoffs are a little bit of a different game because you know each game you're really just trying to maximize um you're trying to maximize matchups as, po as as much as possible much more so than having kind of the more defined rules during the regular season so uh, I'm not too worried about that I think he's going to get access to saves there is some regression I think coming on the contact front 228 BABIP and then a 70 a 94.8 strand rate so you know i don't think we can expect those ratios to stay where they were this year but uh, i still think he's going to be solid and i'm happy to have him as my first closer in this draft and i think uh, i'd be happy to have him as my top as my um, first closer drafted in in drafts come come march um, assuming that there's no major change in who is in that bullpen in tampa uh, at in the 12th round at pick uh, 167 
um, I went with uh, old man Lorenzo Cain. Uh, I think a lot of folks are going to give up on Kane based on his lackluster 2019. I think you can see that he's dropped about 100 spots in the uh, in the ADP uh, this year, falling all the way to 167. I was drafting him last year in you know uh, around pick six between pick 60 and 70, but he struggled with injuries throughout the throughout the year. And when you actually look at the quality of contact he made, he got really really unlucky. So he actually had the same expected batting average this year um, of 289 as he did last year, even though his actual average um, was much much uh, different. Um, his Statcast. Uh, um, his other stack cast metrics from barrel rate to expected slug to expected um uh woba on contact were all um were all higher in 2019 um than they actually were in 2018 so he was making decent contact he wasn't getting as lucky i also think that his 18 stolen bases were a disappointment for fantasy owners i know when i drafted him i was planning on you know around 30 which i think is what about what he was projected for heading into this year but drafting kane you know at pick 167 is a very different proposition in terms of expectations and what you need from him than drafting him at pick 60. And so I think even if he he does only steal 18 bases next year or 15 stolen bases factoring in him getting maybe a little bit older, you know, I think think from 160 spot 167 if he can provide that solid batting average um some runs or RBIs depending on where he hits in the batting uh, batting order. You know, I think all is good with um, with Kane, and then I also still still think that there is upside because one of the reasons why his stolen base total was down was because he wasn't on base as much um, as he was the year previously. And so if he gets on base uh, more next year, uh, then I think you could actually see that stolen base number um, creep up just a little bit. I'm I'm super interested to see where um, you know uh, projections have him from a stolen base perspective heading into twenty. Uh, 20 and hopefully those uh those steamer projections are out soon on fan graphs i check like every single day so i'm going to stop it there um for uh, this particular podcast i will cover the second half of my draft on the subsequent podcast but after 12 rounds i'm feeling pretty good about my team i've got three pitchers I've got Bueller, I've got Scherzer, and then I've got Pagan. So I feel like I've got a solid bullpen arm to to start off with in terms of saves. And then I've got my two, you know, definite aces um, at the top there that are really gonna uh, lead my pitching staff. And then I think I've got a really solid kind of balanced um, team or start of an offense where everybody is contributing, you know, outside of, you know, Fran Mill and maybe Kane to a lesser extent, a very balanced approach where, you know, guys all have, uh, batting averages that are well above league average. Um, they're going to score some runs. They're going to get some RBI. They're going to have 20 plus home runs and they're going to have, you know, 15, 20 stolen bases. And so I really like that kind of, um, that kind of base to start off with because like I mentioned before and I've mentioned many times on the podcast having you know your contributors spread out across your team and not having too many guys who are you know two or three category contributors um, really makes a, a huge difference in terms of limiting your risk heading into the season because injuries you know if, if you're too heavily relying 
uh, on your home runs or your stolen bases or your batting average to come from one or two players, uh, injuries can really have a have a detrimental impact on your your team. Um, so uh, yeah, I hope this was helpful not only you know with me just kind of sharing. Um, you know, who my most recent draft, but just, you know, getting a better understanding of, of, um, you know, why I like certain players and digging a little deeper into each of the players that I drafted. And then also some of the strategy points and, uh, all of the information I shared on this podcast is available as well. Um, in written format, uh, the, uh, in, uh, on, uh, batflipcrazy.com. Um, I published it on October 25th. It's now the second story um, on, on the blog, uh, or the website, whatever, whatever it is exactly that I put together there. But, um, yeah, give it a read. Let me know what you think. And also like, let me know, do you want me to write more articles? Do you prefer to re- receive information, you know, via the podcast? It would be, it would be great to have some feedback on that. All right. That is going to wrap us up for episode 99 of the Backflip Crazy podcast. Thank you uh, so much um, for listening. Should be coming at you on uh, Monday night slash Tuesday morning, depending on if you're on the West Coast or the East Coast with the next Benched with Bubba, which will be episode 100 of the podcast, which is, uh, which is awesome. Uh, I love doing the podcast. I love hearing from folks uh, about the podcast. I hope you enjoy it as well. And, and thank you uh, so much. Uh, for listening and, and really giving me this uh, this platform to share uh, about uh, the my, my hobby that I love. So I really, really appreciate that. Um, all right, uh, that's going to wrap it up. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Uh, best of luck with all of your waiting for our beloved projections to come out uh, on fan graphs and other locations. Be, uh, take care. Almost forgot. It's been so long. Take care uh, and be kind to one another.